0: Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the podcast for special needs. Each week, we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools, and to empower parents. In this episode, we're discussing Matt Send Leadership and what is involved. Discussing this with me is Simon Tanner, the National Director for Send for EACT a trust with schools across the country. Simon was a SENCO for 10 years, and now Matt lead, and has been doing that for over six years. The SENCAST is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. As well as our assessment products on our evidence and parental engagement platform, we also run online training sessions that we call SENCAST sessions. And if you go to the SENCAST website, you'll see we now have a range of a ho- over 100 training sessions. And these sessions often feature our amazing podcast guests, but are more formal. They're videos with slides that you can download and often handouts. And we run nine live sessions each year where you can join in the Q&A at the end. And we also run a free send briefing twice a year. So you can keep up to date with all the changes in the world of SEND. And if you do buy any of those training sessions, they are yours forever. You can watch them as much as you like. You can find out more about our training sessions and our Sendcast, and our SEND briefings by going to the SENDcast website. Now, let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing what is involved in being a Matt SEND leader. My guest this week is Simon Tanner, the National Director for SEND for EACT, a trust with schools across the country. Simon was a SENCO for 10 years and a MAT lead for SEND for over six years. Simon co-chairs the MAT SEND leaders group that he established with Dr. Nicola Crossley, and that has over 117 MAT leaders of SEND. And you may see Simon at various events across the country, most recently the TES SEN show. Welcome to the show, Simon. Hi, Dale. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. Matt send leads are a relatively new role in education because they only arrived with academies, yep. but it is very different being a local authority send lead. Would you say that being a mat send lead is like being a head teacher? You're supporting all your staff. You're sharing that ethos and you're looking to the future to try and stay on the front foot, not the back foot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think context to that is very important to mention in terms of the person that is stepping into that mat send leadership role. Whole variety of expertise and backgrounds and specialisms that potentially would lead into someone being then promoted up to or into that Matsen leadership role. Doesn't necessarily mean that they've been a head teacher, worked at that level. In my experience, most people have been at some form of leadership scale within their academy, but it usually is someone that has been a Senco, has an area of specialism within special educational needs. And that they have then been promoted into that role. And I think what we're trying to see and what we're gradually are seeing across academies and certainly the large mats is that instead of potentially your best SENCO within a smaller mat being promoted up to that overarching strategic role for SEND across your mat, what we're seeing now is people actually recruited into those roles from an external source. And I, th- and I think that's giving power and position to that role. Yep. because it is a vital one across academy, so that someone has that strategic role that is overseeing SEN so it doesn't just become something that's forgotten within that multi-academy trust.
0: I think as a SENCO, a role of the SENCO is very much supporting teachers, supporting uh, children and all that. It's a very kind of, I'm going to say, although it's a coordinate, it's a, quite a hands-on role. Absolutely, mm-hmm. And it's like a deputy head teacher is a very much, you're, you're pushing that school forward, you're like, I'm going to say the best teacher, you're that mentor, you're the person looking at things and being that head teacher is doing a different job. Yeah. That head teacher is looking outward. Yeah. And I think that, that can be a very big difference. You might be an amazing Senko, but that I can imagine won't trans, always transfer to being a, because it is a very much, you need to be able to delegate. Yeah. You don't get much opportunities as Senko, because you seem <laughs> to be bottom of the pile, catching everything. Indeed. And you're not bottom of the pile, it's just how it ends up. Yeah. And whereas, yeah, that Matt lead is you are literally you're delegating the kind of, where you're going, you're being very, very strategic. Yeah. Whereas I think most senkos, it's all the things you want to do, but you're not allowed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or all the things that you want to do, but don't quite get to. So you roll over as the brand new idea for the next academic year. Yeah. And I've done that myself for a number of years. And I, I think what it also provides, you know, Gary Orbin talked about it in his book, The Lone Senko. I think what you, what you get within that role is that you can feel very isolated very alone uh, with what you're doing. Am I doing the right thing? And, you know, unless you've got someone that's got a real key interest and knowledge of send that sits above you as a line manager or as a head, you're not necessarily going to get that challenge. And I think for me, what that Matt Send leadership role provides, one is that you then aren't alone. There is someone that you can pick up the phone and call, you can drop an email to that can provide that support for what might be perceived as a very basic, straightforward question. But actually, if you've not come across that before, You haven't got the experience to necessarily deal with that. And we've, you know, across EACT, we've got a whole variety of experienced senkos that have been in the game for 15 plus years. And we've got others that have literally just started in September. And of course, they're going to need a different level of support, mentoring, coaching, touch base, but there's still going to be things that they've not necessarily had to deal with in their career. Because as we know, the the context and the cohort of SEN learners within our academies is changing nationally. You know, we can see that with the figures. And I think what that Sen leadership role provides, it prov- provides that roi- uh, voice, sorry, right at the top table. So you're talking about SEND. You know, for me, one of the things that is great across EACT is that you've got the CEO at the head teachers' conference talking front and centre about what are we doing for our special educational niece children.
0: That's yeah. not very common.
1: No, it's not. <laughs> but it is phenomenal as then a Sen leader to hear that, because then what you've got is a group of head teachers. Deputy heads, assistant heads and staff that are hearing that and seeing that and right, okay, so right at the top, we're talking about the importance of special educational needs. So it gets traction. And sometimes that's the bit that can get missed. And, you know, being part of the MAT leaders group that you mentioned, what we see is the variance of what the Sen leader role actually looks like. You know, in some mats, it's someone that is like a, a senko full-time and they might have, you know, responsibility for trust CPD, programs of study that are coming in, supporting with recruitment and whatnot. Or you might have someone that's fortunate enough to be in the role like myself, full-time, purely looking at strategic implementation of send uh, plans, training, retention of SENCOs, recruitment of SENCOs, which is very problematic at the moment, as well as teaching assistants, CPD, and then actually looking strategically, as you mentioned, around the use of the data. And it's very much that we can support the senkos in getting that information and data. So they haven't got to spend hours going to look for it and we can produce it for them. And then we can have conversations about, okay, so this is what the data is showing us. How can we move this forwards? Where are we seeing impact? Where are we not? How can we then tie this in with future CPD opportunities? You know, What are the gaps that we're missing? Does this cross-reference with your SEND register in terms of the four broad areas of need? Have you got all your provision weighted in the wrong area? So a fascinating conversation I had with one of our primary SENCOs in the summer actually linked directly into that. So I'm looking at her provision map, we're looking at the four broad areas of need, and she's got one provision listed for SEMH. So as I asked the question about, right, okay, so I've looked at your register, SEMH is the highest grouped area of your four broad areas of need, but yet you've got one intervention within it. So let's have a look at that. And as soon as I said that, she was like, no, 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 no. That one intervention, everything is umbrellaed under that. So she then listed off this ream of intervention of about eight, eight or nine different things that they were doing that term. I was like, right. So we haven't got an issue in that area. We've got a recording issue and we need to break that down to then show the tiered approach that you are quite clearly taking so that that is captured in your graduated
0: response. So some people don't like data. <laughs> I'm obviously from B squared. I love data. It's the best thing ever. But the thing is what having data in that form is great for is sharing that information. Yeah. yeah. You don't need data if you're the only person who needs it. Yeah, if you're the only person who needs it, you don't need it. But when you're trying to work collaboratively and you're working with teachers, you're the same co and you've got working on that, the data should be easy for everyone to understand. Yeah, And that's the thing. It is a way of everything. And what you've just said there is my favorite use of data. It's not to smash anyone over the head with, is it gives you a question. Yeah, And lots of people think a graph is the answer. (laughs) <laughs> data is never an answer it is purely a question so you said highest need SEMH one intervention question yeah And that's, that's what data is for it's that question yeah. if you're not asking the questions you haven't got enough data yeah start the conversation yes that is and you look at all our data in B-square and it's great and all the other stuff but it's there to give you questions yeah a software cannot give you a judgment a, so- a software cannot tell you if this is good progress or not that has to come from a human. But you want something, especially across the map, you can go, actually, what, what's working really well over there? Can you share that with everyone else? Because that's great. And that's the sort of thing you can use it to really put people on pedestals. Yeah. You can ask those questions and be really supportive. But data is a great way of you getting some knowledge before you arrive in that school. So you're not literally going to spend three hours going, explain everything to me that I probably could have got our data on my exactly. own in half an hour, two days earlier, Yeah, and then sort of some questions to ask. Yeah, I'm now going to get that, waste a lot of time going through that, and then I'll think of questions as I leave here on the way home. Data should be there and accessible so you can do all of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think for you know, me going into the role at EACT, I was fortunate that nobody had held that role previously. They had regional SEND leads. But that was a role that was kind of gradually dismantled over a period of time as the organization, you know, look, slightly changed structure and direction. So fortunate very much to come into that because there wasn't a barrier there that existed across Senkos in terms of, well, we did it this way for the other person. So why would we want to change and do that for you? So I was quite fortunate. But so one of the things for me about, you know, making sure that you establish within that role as a mass leader is around your systems and structures, data being the fundamental building block of that. So how are you strategically over looking at what you've got specifically in terms of your provision? How are you recording that? So we've deployed provision map across our trust. I have a maps dashboard for that. So I can go in and I can see what is going on across any of our academies at any particular point. Now I don't do that from a big brother. I'm watching you. Why are we not doing this? But what I am doing is looking at that data in terms of exactly as you've just said, answering, asking that question as a starting point, right? This is working really well in this academy let's have a look and see whether or not actually we can scale that and we can put that across some of our other academies or equally it's working well in yours but not in yours well is that a cpd need is that just the you know the time of the day that you've put that does it fall on a monday where we've been hit by loads of bank holidays national inset days etc in the spring term which which always comes around as soon as you hit that easter may sort of time you tend to lose time so that that for me is a really interesting thing to be able to do and and to strategically look at the programs that we use, because it won't necessarily work in all of the academies. You know, you have to take the context into consideration, the community you're working within. So it's not a case of looking at it and going, right, okay, well, this software package is working really, really well. So we're going to deploy that across all 28 academies, and that's what you're going to do. Okay, that's your reading intervention. Do it, get on with it. Well, it might not work like that. And actually, for me, it's not necessarily about just going, right, bang, that's what we're going to do. It is about looking at the numbers, looking at the figures, looking at the engagement, and then equally looking at the training we've got behind that for the team of teaching assistants, et cetera, that are running that. And are we upskilled enough in then delivering that in the interventions or within the classroom?
0: So I'm just going to go into APDR zone here. (laughs) I love APDR. Most people um, really get it wrong. Yeah. But what you've really talked about there is assessing and planning and reviewing. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people miss those bits. Yeah. Grab an intervention. I've got an intervention. Go do it, everyone. Yeah. That is very much a straight to the D, the yeah. do. Yes. Yes. Not actually going, is this going to work everywhere? Yeah. What's the best way? Is everyone trained? Yeah. Okay. It's not working. Why is it not? That is the important part. Rather than just getting something in and going, I've ticked a box. I've done it. That's the do part. If you just do that, it's probably going to fail. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: 100%. You've got to do the assessment. Yeah. Yep. What is it we need? Is it targeted on where we want it to? That might be a great adventure, but it's not hitting what we need. Planning how we're we going to hit it. Is everyone up to board with it? Really making sure that when you're rolling it out, everyone's on board. Everyone yep. gets it. Yep. Everyone's going to go for it. Then you're doing it, which you kind of just ignore for a bit. but it's that reviewing. So maybe yep. coming back after a term and going, right, is this doing what we wanted it to? If not, okay, what needs changing? Where is it? Why is it working well there? What it's all those questions. And then when you do that, you might not change anything. You're not actually changing intervention. You're just maybe supporting some schools better, putting those things in. They might have staff change, things like that. Okay, mm-hmm. you missed mm-hmm. that training. Here's, you're just doing that. You're reviewing it. And then, okay, we need to do this. And it's that sort of cycle, rather than jumping from thing to thing. Yeah. It's fine-tuning yeah. by doing that assessing and that planning and the reviewing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when when you follow that process through, that quite clearly has been laid out. What's really fascinating for me is when you get to that review point and you start asking the questions about that because you may see phenomenal progress, but yet more is required. Well, that's okay because it depends on your starting point. So then what are we doing? Are we doing the same thing again? Are we elevating that? Are we changing it? Are we changing the group, the member of staff, the time, so on and so forth? Are we seeing smaller amounts of progress? Okay, so then are we looking at the balance of the group? Who's in there? Is there a certain child that's maybe dominating that and taking the time? So actually, that's why that's not been impactful. Are we seeing a change in attendance? So actually, they've only done a third of the sessions that are there, but they've made significant progress within those sessions, but not enough to warrant moving off. And then I think once you've done that review and you've looked at it, sometimes, actually, it might be that you've chosen to repeat That intervention because you can see that actually that you know eight to ten week program has worked but it's not quite yet at the marker that you want it to be so you might scale that you might you know drop that into a smaller group you might just change the person you might go one-to-one whatever it may be or actually it might be really important to recognize that that hasn't worked that has missed the mark for that child and actually we need to do something different so for me when working with the sencos and, and the system that we use to record that and review the intervention Say, for example, that's got a minus two score. That's never a a stick to beat that person with. That's very much of, let's look at that strategically. That hasn't worked. What have we then moved on to? So in terms of the assess, plan, do review process, we're then moving into wave two. So we're starting to kind of build through that. And it might well be one of the challenges I've given to my senkos recently is when you run the reports at the end of the term, let's have a look at who are the top five pupils that you've got in your academies that are receiving provision. Now, my challenge straight away to you will be, right, if they're labelled as K, where are they sitting for that education, healthcare needs assessment? If they're sitting as EHCP, okay, fine. Are we making sure that we're getting all the appropriate funding and resource and whatnot from the local authority and they're doing everything they should be statutorily required to do in section F? Or actually, are you saying to me as SENCO, no, it's appropriate that they're at K because I'm meeting their needs at that ordinarily available provision phase? At which case, happy days, because it's working, and that's what it should be.
0: What, what I'm hearing is, I think if you're a Senco, and I'm not going to differentiate between local authority and trust schools, but is I do feel like in local authority schools, you're kind of you're a Senco, you're on your own. Your conversation you're having with your LEA yeah. are different, yeah. But you coming in is more like having someone. It's almost like coming over your shoulder, yeah, and helping you look absolutely. And where. I think as a senko, you probably, with being very, very busy, you struggle to take that step back and look. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All the stuff you're saying is going, this is what we need to do. This is that taking that step back and realising, where am I? Yeah. Where am I going? What's next? What's what? uh, Okay, cool. Okay, right. Now I've done that. I can step back in and get cracking again. Yeah. And I think because schools are so busy, they're they're not getting that chance to have that reflective time. And I think by having that Matt lead. Yeah. Percent coming in and doing that with you. Yeah. It's just helping. But it's also, if it is working well, you get someone reaffirming. Yes. They're not making national expectations. Absolutely. But for them, that's great. You've had a great impact on that child and that is really positive. And that's really to be celebrated. So you get to do that at that level, not just told, Oh, yes, you know, at the bottom again.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's looking at how you capture successful progress and how you measure it, you know, I've done. Been fortunate enough to do some visits to special schools. And actually, you know, every opportunity is a learning opportunity. There's something coming from, from that. And Simon Knight, somebody that I've done some work with in the past, you know, he, he's spoken about the fact that actually that intervention hasn't landed unless that child is doing it independently in the community. And that, that was something that at, at the moment seemed fascinating to me, but yet so obvious. You know, yeah, I'm seeing it within, you know, this structured room like we're in here. You've done it. Brilliant. Tick. Well, no, because you can't apply it the second that you walk out the door. And that, to me, was a bit of a mind-blowing moment. But yeah, when you look at it like that, he's absolutely right. So is that preparing that child for independence?
0: Not until they've done it outside. It's when someone said something like some like that for me about TAs. It's like, what is the role of the TA? It's to help them with their maths and English. Like, no, no. The role of the TA is to make themselves redundant for that child. Uh uh-huh. huh. That is the role of the TA, uh-huh. is to not be needed. Yep. And you like not going... Yes, that's really obvious when you yeah, say it absolutely. like that, that yeah. actually we want them to do all these things on their own, find those strategies which work for them, find all these things and remove those barriers and they can do it all on their own.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. And, you know, to go back to the point that you were mentioning, you know, previously when we, when we were talking about provision and and then equally looking at that person looking over the shoulder and giving that reassurance it is exactly that. You know, it's that I'm not alone. And quite a lot of the things that we're doing at the moment at Eact, we're looking at line management of SEND. Because what I found last year, my first year, was that that actually looked like a lot of informal conversation, a lot of crossover, maybe at the start of a senior leadership meetings, passing in the corridor, check-ins, whatever it may be. So they were covering more of the operational side of the SEND role, key cases, you know, what are we doing about this EHCP? We've had this come in for this, where's this needs assessment? When's your EP come? You know, whatever it may be. And actually you weren't strategically looking at that data, like we've just been speaking about, as well as that workload, you know, workload of the same codes, workload of the TAs, supporting any gaps, you know, succession planning, right? Okay. So you've got someone leading that intervention. Who else have you got trained in that? Because they've kind of suggested they might be leaving at the end of this year. How are we backfilling those roles? How are we bringing that up? And it, and it needs to be around maximizing those opportunities. And one of the projects that we're working on across EACT at the moment within speech and language is that we're training our own sort of workforce, as it were, in speech and language identification, intervention and support. But we're not just doing it for one person, we're doing it for four, with the idea that we have that structured approach within high quality intervention, identification and provision. But then we're also training class teachers so that we start to get it embedded within the classroom. That's actually the most important bit, you know, that, that wave one intervention, because then we've got it within the classroom for everyone. So we're going to benefit all because it's our highest area of need. Then we're going to potentially move into group intervention and provisions. Then we can move into structured one-to-ones, and then we can involve the salt. And at the moment, we're potentially just going straight to that salt therapist, which of course is then minimizing our caseload. Okay. And equally, the c- cohort of, of send children that we've got with that area of need. And actually, that's the most important bit. And building that into your quality first teaching. That's that for me is really
0: exciting. That thing is, is things I, when you look at like the pre key stage standards, they're just reading and writing and yep. math. And you're yep. going, spoken language, anyone? No, don't need to care about that. Oh, they're struggling with their writing. Why is that? Could be spoken language, you know? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it must be their writing. And it is one of these areas you're literally going, this is a really important area. Yeah. And because the government left it out, mm-hmm. it's not quick to assess. It's kind of been forgotten by lots of organizations. Yep. And actually, it's a really, really important area. Huge.
1: Massive. And we can see it in the data. You know, it's, it's number one area for port. its second free HCP award. What's fascinating for me is if you have a look at the data for speech and language need for primary versus secondary, Okay, and it falls off a cliff when you get to secondary level. For me, what then rises, SEMH. And for me, there is something unidentified or underlying there that actually, is it potentially a speech and language issue that is then fueling the SEMH issue? And have we we looked at that? And I will openly hold my hands up, and that is something in the past that I have overlooked. And it takes that key case sometimes for you to go, ah, okay, that's the pattern. That's where it is. You know, you speech and language therapist will discharge you at the age of 12, you know, longer scene, drop off the register. Okay. And when you come in then, oh, right, well, we're struggling to access learning. We might be then emotional-based school avoider. Where are we looking at? Oh, no, it's SEMH. Hmm. Okay. Have we done any form of language assessment? You know, where does that potentially sit? And that to me is something that actually, you know, go back to that learning point for me, you know, was, was a, you know, hands-up moment in terms of, right, okay, we've missed that. Not again. Yes. We're going we're to make sure that we learn from that so that we, you know, we stretch out across, And that's the beauty for my role is that I can then influence that across 18 and a half thousand children, you know, not just necessarily the thousand in my academy.
0: That is great. And that thing is, we've done this on the podcast. I think it was Wendy Lee we talked about. There's research by the British Psychological Society, which looked at the level of communication mm. of inmates in prisons. Mm. Yes. Uh, 40 year olds, the average communication is 11. Yeah. And you're going right. So they're in there with the and there is a huge correlation of SEMH and that unmet communication needs, unability to communicate. And you can even go into male suicide rates where yep. they're not able to communicate and yep. express how they are, and they just can't talk. And it so it is huge. It's not a small thing, it is yep. a lifelong thing. And yes, they might get to this certain level where they can pronounce words correctly they can do this, but it's that understanding, empathy. there's loads of things around that communication, that social interaction that if they're struggling with, it's a real big barrier. Yeah, it's, it's
1: absolutely critical. And, you know, you've got to make sure that, again, you come back to that tier provision, you know, what have we got in place for that? What are we, what are we identifying as a trust? You know, and, th- and that ultimately will move into, for us, that we will get the communication-friendly schools kite mark and badge, and we'll get, you know, recognition for the work that we're doing within that. But we very much see it not just as a, you know as a one-off project for this academic year is then what is our investment in this moving forwards so we're already working with elkland that we've partnershiped with to do that to look at right well what's our ongoing training going to look like to ensure that we can continue to backfill that so that we get that right on the ground for those children coming in because i think what we're seeing post covid is significant rises coming through into early years which is then you know coming through into primary, and of course these children aren't coming up necessarily with EHCPs, although that is something we are beginning to see more formally, and those numbers are rising because it may well be that they've missed um, various milestones, key appointments with paediatricians, they've missed being socialised, yep. and, go- and going out into baby and toddler groups because they've been inside because of those periods. And if you track back that two three years, it's like ah well what you know happened majorly across the globe three years ago.
0: Who, you knows? Know, yeah, Who knows? Who I, I knows?
1: You know, what, what was the impact that that could have had on those children? And some will make rapid progress because then in, in that environment, and others it takes significant time. And I, and I think that, that for me is where you know, you've got to get that addressed right at the
0: earliest age to ensure that they can then complete their educational journey. What I like about it is you've kind of got loads of sensors around in all your schools, yeah. and you go, oh, there's an issue in that school there. You go investigate, you go, actually, it's probably going to hit all of them. And then rather than each individual school, I'm going to say the word failing, Mm because it is, you realize, oh, we're not doing this. Oh, we need to do this. And then that, however long to get, is once that first school, you kind of, you can look at that as a trust and going, actually, we need to do this everywhere. Yeah. And that way people aren't falling off that and you're supporting everyone before it becomes an issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And I'm, you know, I'm going to contradict myself here because I spoke earlier about what applies somewhere doesn't necessarily apply everywhere, but this does. You know this, and, and what I was able to do is go into that data and, and look at the data, look across all of our academies and go, right, okay. So I can see we've got some provision, but that's all bought and paid for and it's, and it's people that we bring in. Fine, I'm not batching that. But of course, that's going to have a limit to how many children that we can support with that. So how can we be more strategic and forward thinking about getting the right support in and identification to the right children at the right times, etc., uh, which is the whole point of the Code of Practice. And actually be on the front foot and proactive about that rather than reacting down the line to then those barriers that we see and actually having to then drive forward more needs assessment, creating high workload for senkos, you know, more paperwork, referrals and, and so on and so forth. So actually by getting that right at that stage, what was fascinating for me was, was mapping that data across the entire trust, comparing that across national, local, regional, the areas that we work within, you know, local authorities, what does it look like within all of those local authorities for speech and language? Okay, we're above in every single one of the local authorities we work in, right, okay. Well, have we got an issue with identification then? Are we potentially over-identifying? Those were other questions that we asked. So it wasn't just necessarily, right, we've, you know, pushed the panic button, this is what it's telling us, okay, but actually, right, have we got our identification right? Possibly not. So we need to upskill our staff to make sure that we do, And you know, that was another angle of looking at that data as well.
0: But again, if you are one school who are over identifying, you go, Oh yeah, we've got it wrong. Yes. When you're doing it in a lot of schools, you're probably going, yeah, this might not be us. Yes. We might have actually got this right where actually everyone is behind and they're identified as SEMH. Yeah. That's a secondary thing. It's caused by this, which is actually the main cause which, and that's where we need to put the support in. Yeah. It's, Support the need, not the behavior. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and to be honest, Dale, it was a challenge from our National Director of Secondary. So I, I pitched the idea in one of our ELT meetings and said, look, this is what the data is telling me. This is what I do about, want to do about it. And he just said to me, you know, look, heads aren't telling me that it's speech and language. Heads are telling me it's SEMH. And it was a great challenge for me because until that point, I hadn't looked at that correlation. So it was a bit of a light bulb moment. So I actually went straight away in that meeting into the data and was like, right, okay, give me five minutes. I've got another graph that I want to show you. And you could literally see the speech and language line being right at the very top. And it gets to year seven and it crosses over with the SEMH one. And SEMH at primary is on the floor and they cross over literally as they hit year seven. And that to me was then right, okay, so we need need to do some more digging into this. Cause that's, that's really important. That's really impressive. I was being a bit of a data geek about it because (laughs) I I wanted to find out more about, well, why is that? And when I started speaking to secondary heads, it was like, yeah, but they're discharged at the age of 12. I was like, right, Uh, okay, here we go. And you know, here's that Eureka moment. And it was like, right. Okay. Now we're on the right path you know, this, this is where we need to be. And of course we were doing that back in, uh, December, January, February, so late 2022 into early 2023. And of course the census data comes out in late June, 2023. And when I put that in front, I was like, right, you know, bingo, you know, we're, we're on the right track. And of course the data launched the day after I just briefed head teachers about it because it always does, doesn't it? That national data always. always comes out the day after you've done something big within, within your academy trust. But I was then able to share and say, you know, look, actually, this is even greater now. You know, the importance of this is is massive. And I think, you know, there'll be people listening to this saying, well, how do you get buy-in to that whole trust-wide strategy for that? And I come back to the point about getting the CEO to be singing it from the rooftops and backing it, because that's where you get it. That, that's where you get that level of importance. The amount of Matt Sen leaders that I've spoken to across my six, seven years in the industry... Is that actually, you know, how did you get that to stick? And you've got to have the platform within your academy trust to do that. I've seen quite a few that are kind of like, you know, several layers beneath, or maybe just sit just up above or in line with assistant head teachers. And you haven't necessarily got the credibility or the influence—is maybe a fairer word to describe it, to then push that across. You may be very credible, credible in your role, but actually you haven't got the platform to then push that forwards. And I think where we were able to get success so far, touch wood is early days, but what we're seeing already is because we've had that, because we built that into the academy improvement plan, because we've built that into trust budgets and whatnot, they are invested in it. it. It's there. It's not like a free resource. Oh, okay. Well, if we miss that, it doesn't really matter. Actually, know we're we're doing this, so we've got to commit to it, and we've got to give give it the time. And I think you know, for those Matson and leaders listening, what what's been interesting is the challenges come back in terms of well, that's taking time. That that's taking two of my TAs out of the class for two hours a week. You know, I can't I can't afford that. And I was my challenge straight back was okay. So we've got very much short term pain for incredible long term gain when you look at actually the skill level that we are. Um, getting them to then deliver within the classroom, within an intervention, that's very much then going to deliver longer term for all of your children, not just necessarily the one that you're working with within that classroom. Exactly as you said, you want to eventually make that role redundant. So you're able to step away. So, so my challenge back to the Senkos to the Heads was, okay, so can you think about creative ways that you can maybe amend your curriculum? This is more for primary, but, you know, look at that time, right, on a Wednesday afternoon from two till three, that's when that person is going to go and do their Oakland webinar. What can we do at that time that's going to work well for that child so that they can have independence and they can have some success? And it's, and it's going to breed it through, hopefully. And that was a challenge back that necessarily people hadn't looked at because the immediate perception is I've got to have that one to one with that child. And that's something that we're trying really hard to move away from.
0: So, interesting, you said there is in my head, and I, lots of people is you are leader of Send. Yep. So you just work with the SENCOs. Yeah. But you were talking about you're in a meeting with head teachers from secondary. Yep. So, that again is, you're not just in charge of the Senkos. Again, a siloed group over yeah, there. Yeah, you're yeah. in charge of that lot. Go have a fun day once a year or something and yeah. just stop moaning at us. <laughs> it, you are literally sitting at that head table with all of the other leaders.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You are
0: above the head teachers. In theory. Yep. Yeah. In theory. And I, and I think that that's
1: the interesting thing for me, having done it now across two organisations. Because the first organization I worked in very much, you were sort of on a par and in line with assistant heads. So you went in and you spoke to assistant heads, maybe the line manager of the SENCO because it was predominantly secondary trust. You fed into the heads, but you didn't necessarily have that power to say, this is happening. This is what I want you to do. You could still do it, whether or not they chose to adopt it or not was then a different thing. And that then comes down to relationship you have with them. And again, you know, the influence of the CEO and director of education and so on and so forth. I think what's interesting is if you really want Sen to be built into what you're doing, you know, that Matt SEND leadership role has to be right at the very highest level. Like me and you were talking around in terms of the Senko being part of the leadership group. And my challenge back to that would be, well, actually, the voice is the most important thing. Yes, I think, you know, I would apply the same thing within a trust. As long as that voice is heard at the very top table, loud and clear, which ultimately falls to the CEO, that's where you're going to have significant impact. And you're going to be able to influence that. So it, is a, it isn't just necessarily about line managing those Senkos, working directly with. And that's an easy trap to fall into. That's one that I've fallen into in the past. And you have to kind of really force yourself to move out of your comfort zone. Because as an experienced Senko, you know, it's very easy to look at that and go, oh, I could fix that. I could do that. Do this, do this, do this. Or, 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 you know, move aside and let me do it for you. Worst thing you can do as a Matsen leader. Okay. Not to go in and do it for them. Yeah. Help them through mentor, coach, advise, guidance, you know, be there for support, you know, be someone on the end of the phone or on the end of the email, as I mentioned earlier, but not to do it for them. You know, you might want to model it, right. I'll do this review. Okay. I'll show you how to do it. You're doing the next one. And then, and so on and so forth. You, You know, you might want to, you might want to take that, but if you go in and do it, you are then stepping out of that strategic role and you are becoming the operational lead. Yes. And that's not where you want to be as a Madison leader.
0: And I suppose because you are, I'm gonna say above head teachers because I want you to be and you need to be because <laughs> send is you also get that chance to get that view from that Senko and get that kind of trust wide Senko yes. picture. Yes. And then say to the head teachers, you need to do this. Yeah. So that's quite a quite thing. Whereas the Senko is beneath them going, Help, help, I need help. <laughs> you can sit there and go, Yeah, what we're seeing across the trust without naming any names, but we're seeing this. So you need it it really helps them see from that strategic point of view. Yeah actually that message which might not be heard within their own school.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing that we've really noticed and, and certainly literally from day dot when I started at EACT was the inclusivity of the trust. You know, we work in areas of huge deprivation, complex communities, inner city academies. So, you know, the, the pupils that we serve, you know, come in with their own unique challenges and so on and so forth. And what blew me away was the passion that every single head has for SEND, but they haven't necessarily got that specific knowledge of how to work and support SEND. So that's definitely something that we've felt across the Trust. We've tried to upskill and increase, yeah. and actually, you know, the heads are great at reaching out, so the educational directors who have really good knowledge of SEND themselves, but they will reach out for support. I've said this, is that, is that quite right? You know, what other areas, are, you know, do we need to consider? And one of the biggest things that I've always found within SEND normally is that actually a lot of it's based around problem solving. And that you sit around a table and, and, you know, you're mapping what you've done, right? I've tried all of these approaches, nothing sticks. And it's just getting different ideas coming to the table. Have you, you know, have you tried to implement this? Or have you tried shifting it to a different person? Or, you know, have you flipped the timetable? You know, whatever it may well be, it's just around trying to work practically to find that solution. And that's what Head's actually brilliant across EAC to engaging with and wanting that support. So very much will work with you because, you know, we sit nationally above every single metric you know, in terms of pupil numbers and census and so on and so forth. So the fact that we've got higher percentages of EHCPs and SEND support within our schools, heads have to see SEND as a priority. And I'm, you know, really grateful that they do because it removes that barrier. You know, it, you know, it's one of those things that actually, you know, you take you take out the conversation that, you know, okay, well, you know, we need to do SEND, but, you know, let's be quiet about it. Let's not overly celebrate it. And, you know, let's be honest, that exists. Yep. And I've seen that and... You know, actually, it, it's very much not like that. But of course, you've got to be careful of that because that is a double-edged sword because then, you know, you can get sort of labelled as, right, you guys are the inclusive school in the area, you are the SEND school, so this is where we're going to go, this is what we're going to do. And that, of course, then puts pressures on your systems that you're creating. So, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm quite interested to see what comes out of it in terms of that inclusion dashboard head head sit on in terms of fair access panels so that they can look at the population of SEND across their areas and authorities and whatnot and actually who isn't pulling their fair share. And that that's something that I think will help and support the system grow and develop.
0: Yes, definitely. So you've got a trust. Your trust is all over the country. Yeah. And you kind of said you don't do one-size-fits all the you did, so we'll leave that. Um, <laughs> but, but there are probably things like you're seeing, like the SCND and AP improvement plans on yeah. the horizon. It's coming this way. Yeah you will want to kind of get a mostly consistent approach to that across your trust. It's it's a very consistent, I'm going to say, very consistent strategic. The operational could be different in each school. Yes, exactly that. So it's that consistent. So do you do that, because you've got loads of schools miles up north and loads of schools further south, do you do that as a whole trust in one go? Do you do it online? Do you split into regional groups? How do you do that with such a varied group of schools all over the country? They all have to be available on this day, at this time. No parents can interrupt. There can be no dramas, (laughs) no safeguarding. It's probably a nightmare. Yes. (laughs) Is, is the easiest answer to
1: that question. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, to give context, we are South London, all the way across to Bristol and right up to Sheffield and Manchester. So, you know, length and breadth. What, what we've done with that to tackle that, EX have various models in the past where they've been one national mat, they've then been regional, they've then been north and south, and actually what we're trying to get back into the culture we're trying to breed now is very much that we are one, we are together. So we have three points this year where all Senkos from across the country will come together and we'll meet face-to-face, where we will look at some of the things that we've been talking about, where we'll look at national picture. I'll update on what's going on for us nationally, locally, regionally, whatever, you know, whatever that may be. And the biggest benefit of that is that the face-to-face contact that the Senkos are getting, you know, we, we span 10 authorities that we sit within, but you could probably triple that with the amount of then cross-border relationships and coming in and out. So the complexities of and variance of local authority workings definitely frustrates me. So, in te- you know, in terms of going back into your Send AP and improvement plan point, I, for one, cannot wait for national standards to come out. I cannot wait for the digitized approach for EHCPs to be in because then we can have consistency yeah. a- across our piste because at the moment we can't because every authority does it in an ever-so-slightly different way. And that, that is, for us, definitely one of that sort of barriers. And I think where we can get to that point in 2025, and I'm frustrated that we've got to wait to 2025, but it looks like that's, that's where we're going to be, potentially even maybe just a bit after that but let's let let's hope not cross fingers <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> fingers indeed. Are crossed. but that that's actually when we can get some support you know we can put Senkos together that maybe experience the brand new because everything will be central everything will be the same way and it will make sense you know why they didn't do that back in 2014 when they changed the code of practice i have no idea and it was something i said at the point because it would have made perfect sense you, you know you do changing your reforms now do it now So you've got, you know, multiple local authorities that have just run away and gone, right, we're going to do it like this. And there is some consistencies out there and there's some really good practice. And what I tend to find within my role of working across all of those different local authorities and trying to build relationships and establish connections is that you've got some great people that are trying to embed some really good practice, but of course they are drowning in an overflowing system at the moment. And and that's one of the problems that we see um, and some of the barriers that you can then get.
0: Definitely. and I I am very hopeful for the SEAD and AP improvement plan if it it is a complete transformation which is going to be really needed yep and I know basically apparently, apparently in 2014 there was lots of accountability it just caught, pulled out at the last moment because they were scared of it and what might happen I don't know. We need that accountability. We need that standardization. We need that someone like Gary Freeman can just write a book on how to apply for an EHCP, and it works everywhere. And (laughs) I'm not saying copy and paste, but it is going to be, this is a very formulaic approach because it is a form. Yep. So it is going to be a formulaic, and he said, in all emotions, do the facts. And it is, you literally do that. And it should be so much simpler when you, as a trust, and run training for new Senkos on doing an EHCNA. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be applied to wherever they are. Yeah. When we can get to that point, it's going to make everyone's workload and it will just make things so much easier. There's things that may not happen. I really don't see some things, but I hope they, I do have, I have hope, not blind hope, just going, please, please, please make it work. But yeah, that's, that's the thing is. Certain things I like with the Roche review, it wasn't really a law change. There were things in there going, we need to do this, we should be doing this. And other guidance have come out. People have gone, yeah, let's get cracking straight away. Yeah. Whereas with this one and like the 2014, you had to wait for the law. Yeah. And only when the law came in, did the funding come in. Yeah. So we kind of are going to be stuck on, you can try and do things earlier. Yeah. But it's got to come for the law and the funding. But I do hope, that the draft guidance, which is apparently coming out this year, around the roles from the SENCO all the way up, I think, to the CEO yep. and, trust and yep. trustees of your responsibilities for SEN, yep. that is going to be a really big start. And some places, hopefully, you'll be going, yeah, done it all. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Fingers crossed, yeah. Others will be going, oh, we've got a lot of work to do. Let's not till we have. And they will be in between. And yeah. what we always find with any change is there's those who dive in straight away. There's those who are planning and dive in the moment it comes in and those who don't even notice. So it's going to be, I think, it's going to be a couple of years of seeing people going at different speeds. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. hopefully overall, we're going to head to a much more inclusive system where people with SEN are supported without the need for external respect. They get that quality first, high quality, excellent teaching, whatever the next phrase is because it did say excellent teaching in the white paper. And I was like, oh God, another one. Yeah, There was no definition, so that's fine. But whatever that is, we want that. We want it to be inclusive. We want it to be supported. And yeah, that's what I am I feel it's aiming towards. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's going to give a higher platform for this
1: role that I'm doing at the moment in terms of Mats end leadership. I think, you know, in terms of what that looks for, you know, the, the caliber of people that you're able to recruit to that, and then the influence they're going to have within their academy trust. I think when, when those papers and those points land in the next couple of years, I, th- I think that you're going to see a sharp rise in the Matt Sen leader yeah. um, and, and the people that are applying for that. You know, I think the the reason we started the network between myself and Nick um, and it was someone from uh, Sarah Walton from TCAT that said to me, you know, we we need some kind of national group that actually we can, we can put together here because we're all facing similar problems. And actually, you know, maybe that'll bring a lot of reassurance. We can share best practice and so on and so forth. So, you know, and the, Jane Nolan, who works for my sort of counterpart in Ormiston, we, we did some collaboration on some roles where I sent her my Sparring Senko course, and she sent me back her alarm management work that she's put together. Done. You yeah. Know, you, you half the workload straight away. You know, you've got to make subtle tweaks and whatnot, but you do that. I think the changes they're talking about bringing into the MPQH for heads around send and upskilling heads, I think is something that, you know, all send practitioners would welcome. There's also a course around you know ceos doing some form of training for then their mats and what that looks like again within send yeah you know that's going to be music to a lot of people's ears and then the investment that they've got to do within that but of course you go know, going back to your point around you know and, and the thing i was talking around you know linking into ehc needs assessments hopefully we'll get to a stage where actually we'll see a reduction in those that i'll be doing a uh, big sorry completed year on year Because we're getting our ordinarily available provision right, you know that that is ultimately where we will get to, and I think you know that comes back to the point we're talking around data. So if we can show that we've got an effective send support model, hopefully we will see a decline in that. And you hit the nail on the head where you said you know less demand for specialists and so on and so forth because they're all out there, but they are incredibly rare resource. You know they they can be expensive, not always. So in terms of when you're able to bring that in, I suppose it's that demand versus cost model at the moment, and their demand is high, so the cost is high, if you were looking at it maybe cynically. And that's the beauty of my role, because you see then the variance of that across the country, and what that looks like, and impacts on the children in those areas.
0: And I suppose, what we're talking about when reducing EHCNAs and EHCPs mm. is, they are seen as this is the only way to get support. Absolutely. And generally, children are failed, Yep. and then they get the EHCP and they get support. Yep. The whole thing with the s Improvement Plan is, Stop the failing. Yep. Yeah, support. And then we don't need that. We don't get to that point. That's the thing. It's not reducing it for the sake of it. It It's actually going, let's not get this child in this situation where it's this, the situation's got this bad that they need all this. Let's support them from the start. And you might be looking at your school going, we can't do this. And that's the thing. The whole thing with the SENDAP Improvement Plan is changing an ethos across the whole of education at every single level Mm from your TA all the way up to your trust CEO and in the LEA. Mm-hmm. Or LA, I can still call it LEA, <laughs> LA. Yeah. But it is, that's, it's a whole thing. And if we can change that, then it will be a very big change. Yeah. If one of those bits doesn't change, we're going to be still fighting for a while.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, the model that I've seen quite a lot, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to bash primary, secondary, because there are positive examples and negative examples. But one of the things that you sometimes come across being in secondary like myself is that you see, really effective send support model at um, primary, doing all the right things, showing progress, excellent, but then that child transitions to a secondary school where that isn't in place and they implode and it falls apart. And then you're going for your EAC needs assessment or you're coming, you know, maybe being labeled as EBSA, you know, what does that, what does that look like? Or the other way around, you know, there's nothing going on at primary, come up to secondary and then it's like, right, kitchen sink at the child. And you get that conversation with the parents of, well, there were there weren't any issues at primary school. Right. Okay, let's have a look at the data. Let's have a look at what, you know, what those baselines are showing us and so on and so forth. So I think what we've got to try and ensure, and this is the beauty that you can get sometimes with your mats, especially if you're clustered and in local areas, if we if we can get to the position where, you know, mats and academies are taking, you know, right from early years through into the end of key stage two, into key stage three and four. You'll get consistency across that piece all the way through for that child, and that will work. But at the moment, quite a lot of it doesn't necessarily
0: correlate. So you might get one bit, but not the next bit, or vice versa. Yeah, you see that. You see that a lot, and people will sort of say there are times almost like this is the time we, the HCPs they yeah. get to this point, and maybe maybe year three when we're going yeah. at that, starts to fail, or in end of year seven, yeah. year eight yeah. where they really tried to keep yeah. it going, and it's now going downhill. And you get these two trends and you're going, well, actually, how did that happen? Yeah. What's the change? And it's, it might, yeah. And you can look into that and there'll be lots of little bits, yeah. but that thing, is not one big thing you can often change. No. It's no. lots of little bits, but the overall thing is an ethos.
1: Yeah. And then, and then it very much is, well, how can we work with that community?
0: And, and again, you know, some
1: people might look at that and think, well, actually, you know, you're not, you're not within my mat, so I'm not going to work with you. You're a feeder school to a large secondary school, for example, I am going to work with you because it's in my interest. You know, we're going to hold training days. You know, we're going to get people come and have a look and see what we do. You know, start the transition process right back in year four, maybe at the start of year five, so that you know what's coming up, coming your way, right? Okay, well, this is our intervention package. This is what it looks like. This is how we can link it with you. You know, what can you share? And it's, and it's fascinating to me that actually we don't look at it in that way sometimes, and we don't share that best practice, we can be quite, you know, kind of guarded and hold on to it and, you know, not not want to do that. But actually, you know, the biggest thing in the SEM world is all around collaboration, yes. working together, child front and centre of what you're doing Yes. to ensure that actually they're the ones that benefit from that. You know, and going back to a conversation I had with some colleagues before that operated across a split site, we, we were looking at provision, and it was two separate Key Stage 3 sites. They were looking at it. And it was like, no, 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 they're, they're, both, they're both identical. They both get the same diet. And when they come up to key stage four, again, they then, they then get up. It's like, okay. Looked at the data, looked at the interventions. Totally different, okay, in terms of what was planned and whatnot. And when you drill into it, it's then like, okay, well, what's this one? Ah, oh, this is a group that we do for year eight boys based around behavior because we identified at that school that they were struggling. Okay, do not do it at the other school. No, 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 no. No, they, they don't have behavior issues at, at that site. Okay, right. What's this one here in year nine? Uh, that's the difficult uh, behavior group for boys. Right. Okay. Who's predominantly in that one? Oh, the ones from this site. Right. So when they come up to key stage four, they have a problem, but key stage three, they didn't. Okay. But these guys who you did the intervention with at key stage three, when they come up, they're fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. Okay. So I think you need to spread that across both sides. Yes. Okay. And and and, it, and it's that connection sometimes that actually can be missed. Because if you're working in silos, if you're working on your ind- individual schools, you're not necessarily looking at it from that sort of separate lens. So, you know, being, being as a MatSEN leader, being able to look at the data in that way and spot some of those patterns and trends and what's missing, you know, what's in your community, what's coming up, you know, who have you got that is your expert in that area? You know, where can you share? And that, that's sometimes when it's really powerful. One of the things that I'm really passionate about getting going within EACT we haven't quite cracked it yet, but it's quite a few of our schools are in very close proximity to each other. So we can share that resource. It's going to take careful consideration and planning and investment and whatnot. But actually that will benefit the children that we work with.
0: You touched on behavior there. Yes, and one of the things you that. hear that thing, <laughs> I'm not going to go too far because that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> it could be. But it was that idea and that thing, you're literally going, it's kind of people's expectations. Mm. Now I'm autistic and ADHD. I, fil- I, fi- I fiddle with things. I do things. I rock on my chair. I generally look like a really inattentive person when I'm learning. Yeah, you have my full attention. I'm fully concentrating on you as much as I can. It's just you're not feeling everything I need. <laughs> so I need something else as well. And some people will get that yep. and go, well, your results are doing fine. Yep. You're getting everything that's learned. So if that works for you, that works for you. The next teacher will be going, no, no, you've got to sit here. You've got to do this. And there's probably a thing where you, you kind of got to across that trust. You're probably looking at behavior and going, okay, so where's this going here and year on year. And it's probably a whole bit of work around trying to get that Reasonable adjustment. Yeah. And don't, I would say, don't be so rigid. Yeah. Have your non negotiables. Yeah. And have your negotiables. Yeah. That's probably a really complex piece of work. Massive, massive. I was quivering <laughs> my chair as you were asking that question
1: <laughs> as to where you were going to go. I was going to ask you, what's
0: the, what's the silver spoon? How do you solve that in one simple <laughs> sentence? It's not, but it's one of those things is, and you see it on the internet. You, I see it on Reddit, on Facebook. You yeah. see people and the way they approach behavior. And it's just yeah. like, I'm literally going, Jesus.
1: It's complex. It's really complex. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've noticed across my just over a year in post at EACT is I would say that we are there with the intent. That, that is there, loud and proud, where we are then missing the mark, falling short on a journey, not quite there yet. How are we going to phrase that? Is with the implementation. And it's, you know, you can put the intent there, you can put the passports there, the strategies, the guidance, the reasonable adjustments, everything. You know, you can label that out, horse the water, hold the head under the water, open your mouth, drink. I think what you is then really challenging to impact and does come down to then heads and senior leadership teams within their own academies driving that is then how all staff are then embedding it across their schools. Yeah. And that is something for me that comes up very frequently in terms of, yeah, great in that one, great in that one, mixed in that one, not good in that one. And then well, how are we then working with that member of staff to challenge their philosophies, how they treat SEND? It might just be like, well, you know, ADHD is a choice, you know, it's it's something that I hear quite regularly. Not necessarily within my multi-academy trust, I will stress that loud and proud, but that is something that, you you know, you come up against. They can do it in that class, but not that. Okay, well, why can they do it in that class? Have you looked at the relationship they have with that member of staff, the reasonable adjustments they've made, the content, the curriculum, the passion, the interest, the strengths, so on and so forth. You know, when I became a year leader many, many, many years ago, there was a lad that sat at the back when I finished my first assembly and he clapped. Never has everyone ever, ever clapped in that environment. And I was like, oh, okay. And I saw him afterwards. I said, why did you clap? And he just said, I really liked it. It, it was a really powerful assembly. I was like, okay, brilliant roll on two weeks forward, did another one, which I thought was, was of high quality. I thought was even better than the last one. And I looked at the lad and sort of like gestured and he just shook his head. (laughs) Just like, no, no. And I was like, brilliant. And, and, you know, I'll always say to someone, you know, if you've got an ADHD child in, in your class, they are your thermometer. They are your feedback as to how well you've pitched that lesson. You know, how are you involving them within that? How are you capturing that passion, that extensive focus? you know, or how are you lighting that fire to get to that point? And that's sometimes the bit that's missing when you, you, you know, I'm going to mention the B word in terms of behavior and you go, right, well, what's happened in the build up to that? What's caused that? Could we have avoided that? Right. What are we going to learn from that and then put it in place um, and move it through. And I think, you know, there's, you know, I, I see it quite a lot. I've got to be very careful how I say it here. So it doesn't come across as bashing any one person, but I think it has to be, a collaborative approach, it, it has to be seen by school, by child, by parent. You yeah. have to work together, you know, and some of the most powerful relationships I've had with parents in the past and present have done just that. You know, right, okay, this has been the behavior where, you know, a, a child has thrown a chair, for example, you know, to quote Finn, Finn O'Regan, that's the example that he normally gives. So we got to deal with that. Okay. And when the parents like, right, okay, they're thrown a chair, we're back in this, bang, child leaves the room. Right. Why have they thrown the chair? you haven't done X, Y, and Z, we've got to make sure that we get this right moving forward, as opposed to, well, it's their ADHD that's caused them to do that. You're not handling it properly. So therefore the punishment doesn't stand. We are then potentially creating a far bigger problem down the line. And again, I'm being very careful here with how I'm pitching this, but that, you know, those are the considerations that we have to think very carefully about because ultimately what the child might get out of that is then, ah, right. Okay. So I've got power here Yes, Uh, and you know. To a degree, maybe they do. But you have, you have to balance that very, very carefully to make sure that you get it right moving forward. And I think
0: when my daughter started secondary school, there's a school contract and you will yeah, support yeah. us. And we sign it every yeah. year. And I sign it, but I was having a conversation with my daughter and it was like a child in my class got detention because they looked at the clock. So he turned around, looked at the clock, and the teacher was detention. And they went to another teacher and they went, I know it's stupid, but you've got detention, so you have to do it. I'll be like going, you're not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yep. sign these rules. It's respect goes both ways. Absolutely. And you get this thing where you're going, you know what? You did that. You get into tension completely fair enough. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 You forgot to take your earrings out. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yep. But yeah, fine. It's yep. a rule. You don't yep. follow it. I get there. But certain things I hear and I'm going, Yeah, if that was you, you wouldn't be going to that detention. And I'm fully supportive of that school. Yeah. That was a bad decision, and you have to admit that. Because if you can admit you've made a bad decision, then my daughter might admit she's made some bad decisions. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're saying you don't make mistakes, then my daughter will tell you she never makes a mistake either. Yeah, because that's what you're teaching her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But let's move the behavior, Let's leave the behavior a bit behind, because <laughs> <laughs> it is a whole can of worms. It is, yeah. I think that people's previous experience and philosophy, yeah, is a huge thing Massive. that you've got to overcome, and you can't negate all their experiences you can't say that didn't happen no exactly no exactly I
1: think I think fun, before we leave it alone the, the fundamental thing for me is relationship what relationship has the, the member of staff got with that child that that's where it'll be you know made or broken
0: yes definitely and I'm going to wrap it up there because we have talked a while we've gone all of I think we've to me we've covered lots of stuff and i really like the way we really highlighted that the Matt Sen leadership is right at the top yep it's a big priority in your yep. Matt it should be a big priority in every Matt and you're not just working with the SENCOs, You're working with the CEO. You're working with the head teachers. You're working at all the different levels, and and that's really I'm loving hearing that. Yeah, that really gives me lots of um, hope for the future because so I do think even local authorities, you have the SEN team, the yeah. SENCO. Yeah, they don't really work. It's like a siloed thing over here. Yeah,
1: it is, and it's and it's also scale. It's scale of you know how many schools that that one person might go over because effectively the LA is a large map a very large map with one or two
0: people that do that. So I'm quite fortunate that I've got a much smaller scale of operation compared with them. And when when you hear the term, if I hear the word send team, I go, cool. If I hear the word inclusion team, then they tell me how they work. And I'm going, yeah, that's SEN team. That's not an inclusion team because you're still just working with SENCOs. You're not working with the English lead, the maths lead, the head teacher or anything. You're just working with SENCOs. So that's not inclusion, is it? No,
1: no. And that's, And that's the bit... That's the beauty of it with this role in terms of actually how you can influence across all of those different roles. You can get into the faculties, you can get into your boards that, you know, so we operate progress board, curriculum board and teaching and learning board. You know, how can you influence then that? And that's then your dissemination approach down and filtering into your academies so that you get your green shoots of uh, progress coming back up. That's where you can have the influence.
0: So that for me is a really big thing. It's inclusion done right. Yep. Inclusion from the very top and filtered down to every level. Yeah. So thank you for coming on the show today. Really enjoyed it. As always, you will find Simon's contact details and all our guest details in the show notes. And he says he's going to send me some links as well. So I'm going to try and get, put those in. Yep. And you'll find the show notes, as always, wherever you listen to the podcast or on our website. Thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, hit that subscribe button and you'll get that new episode every Thursday. And please follow us on social media on the artist formerly known as Twitter. I'm not going to call it the other word. I just it's just wrong. At the Sencast, I'm going to be stuck on that for years. On Facebook, the Sencast, and on Instagram, the Sencast. And if you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, or anything else. Please send us a message on social media or send an email to hello at the sencast And if you have enjoyed the Sencast, why not look into Sencast sessions, our online CPD that you can purchase for your school. Each session is £10 but it's yours forever so you can build up a library of CPD around SEND that everyone in your school can access. We also run our free SEND briefings twice a year designed to help everyone keep up to date with the changes going on in the world of SEND, especially right now the SEND and AP Improvement Plan. And head over to SENCAS website to find out more about the SENDcast sessions and you'll find a link to that as well in the show notes. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the SENDcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye everyone.